Hello there, friend. Welcome back to the Cash Confidence Stylist Podcast. So before we get into this episode, I got a question for you. How often do you ask yourself, where the hell is my money going? Okay, look, a lot of us, that runs in a constant loop in our mind. And it's time to take your first step towards financial empowerment. So I wanted to give you a free resource that is going to help you do just that. I wanna give you Assess Your Situation, which is the first module in my course, as well as your guide to figuring out where the fuck your money is actually going. Sorry if you have kids in the car. So this is gonna be a free guide that I've created to help you break the loops, providing you with tools to assess your current financial situation. You don't even have to break out the calculator and to help you gain awareness about what you actually need to start making those money moves where it truly matters. So go ahead and scroll all the way down to the bottom of the show notes and snag it. The link is down there um, and enjoy this episode. Let me know how assessing your situation goes. Thanks friends. This is Misty Jane, and you're listening to Backroom Beauty Talks, a real, raw, and unedited podcast that helps uplift the hair industry one stylist at a time. Hello there, friends. Welcome to Backroom Beauty Talks. So the really cool thing about um, being a part of various communities is you get to come across some really cool people. And when I think about who I want to have on this podcast, I'm always drawn to people who um, are very open about their story, people who are not scared to be vulnerable and they really just um, like to have a genuine conversation. Like if you were sitting having a glass of wine with somebody um, at a restaurant and so I'm a part of Independent Beauty Pros, which is essentially like a LinkedIn for hair, not even hairstylists, for beauty professionals, and literally anyone in the beauty industry. And they do virtual happy hours. And um, I showed up to one and uh, I try to show up to as many as I can. Um, they're great. And um, this is how I came across Cass. So Cass is a ballerina turned female barber. I absolutely just loved her energy and I immediately sent her a message and asked her to be on the podcast. Um, And that is this conversation. I really, really enjoyed it. We talk about inclusive um, pricing. We talk about being a female um, barber. We also talk about her nonprofit organization and what that's going to look like for her in the future. And I really, really just enjoyed this. Please bear with us. There are a few little hiccups. I'm going to cut them out as best I can. Um, we had some Wi-Fi issues. This was actually our second attempt at recording this podcast because the first time uh, was just Zoom was not having it. But we finally were able to make it happen. Little side note, if you are looking for a community as well, one that you can meet really awesome people, one where you can meet people that actually want you to um, strive and thrive and um, give you education or just have a relatable conversation that maybe you just need, I highly recommend Independent Beauty Pros. It's an absolutely wonderful digital, um, or should I say virtual community, so you don't even have to leave your home. There is some amazing people in it. Uh, Again, it's a LinkedIn for beauty professionals. So it's essentially a place where you can get educated, you can network, you can find your people and you can find the people that can help you um, build your business in an amazing way. So I will put in the show notes a link 
to independent beauty pros. If you follow me on Instagram, you can also find a link there. Um, yeah, just going to throw that out there because again, this is how I came across Cass, which really, um, I think I've made a new friend. So I hopefully if Cass is listening, um, she's going to send me a DM and tell me, uh, if I'm not just being a crazy person. So (laughs) anyway, let's get to the conversation. Enjoy. Imagine I just said, I don't Hello, Cass. (laughs) Do what? Imagine if I just said I don't consent to being recorded. Well, it's funny. So anyone listening right now, I do all of my podcast recordings on Zoom. And um, now when you press record, there's this like random lady voice that is like, you are being recorded. That is new. And let me tell you, the first time that it happened, I was very confused. (laughs) Cass, welcome to Back from Beauty Talks. We tried to do this last week and um, Mercury was not um, helping us out at all. <laughs> so how are you? Welcome back. Hi, thanks. I'm doing well. I lit a couple candles. I burned some sage and I was like, let's do this today. Yes, let the Zoom gods do its thing, please. <laughs> um, so tell the listeners, who are you and what do you do? Okay. Hi, everyone. My name is Cassandra Kurtz, and I am a master barber in New York City. Um, That term is still a little foreign to me, but technically my title, so I use it. I specialize in straight razor shaves and beard trims, but I do the the whole thing. I do haircuts and, and all that fun stuff as well at my studio, Beyond the Beard. And I also uh, founded a nonprofit called Her Chair, His Hair, which uh, started seven years ago this June. Uh, to celebrate women who are barbers in the industry and who specialize in men's grooming. And over the years, we became a nonprofit. Uh, And yeah, it's something very special to me as well. So I want to get into your nonprofit, but first I want to find out how you got into barbering. Oh, let's hear that story again. (laughs) How much time do we have today? Um, Okay. So the, the long and the short of it is that I was an injured ballerina turned makeup artist turned barber and the nuances really in between makeup and barbering uh, is that when I was a ballerina I decided I still want to be in this industry but not in front of the camera so I decided to become a makeup artist uh, much to my family's confusion Um, but it made sense to me at the time and what I realized along the way was that I was really good at clean makeup you know making people look natural and beautiful and that also happens to be the bread and butter for a lot of folks who freelance they know that editorial makeup is great it's fun but you know you don't um make a lot of money from it right so ultimately I started getting referrals for men's grooming on set uh male models male CEOs just guys who needed a little cleanup and um it just happened naturally so when the time came for me to really decide what's next how do I elevate I had a couple experiences where I realized that maybe going to barber school was a good idea to enhance my craft and to be able to offer more on set and raise my rate and you know also be able to take care of folks and and hopefully foster a good relationship with them that way So you didn't intentionally go into it to like be a barber in a studio. Like you just kind of wanted to use it to enhance the business that you had already had. Yeah. And eight and a half years later, here we are. (laughs) 
Is that how long, when did you open your studio? How long were you doing hair for um, freelance clients? So first? there was, there was like a overlap. Um, I actually started school the week after Hurricane Sandy hit New York City. Okay. So we were running on generators in Tribeca. Mm. Uh, we all asked them, we were like, so do we start a week or two later? And they were like, no, this is your start date. And so that's what we did. We started with no lights and generators. Um, did you have your clippers October. on a generator? No. So luckily, I guess their whole reasoning was that, um, at least for our class, we were theory at that point. Okay. So we just needed a couple low lights and you know enough electricity to play videos from 1975 <laughs> <Right>. um <laughs> so to learn was, things that, that was, you'll never use again <laughs> yeah exactly um so that was about november of 2012 and there uh, i i Scary fact, in New York City at the time, it only took me approximately two months to get my barber's license. Really? How many That's, hours? Uh, no more than, I think at the time, like 300, 350. I, I really don't remember, to be honest with you. But I finished, uh, I completed my coursework January 21st. And I remember because it was a week before my birthday. And um, yeah, so I kind of struck a deal with them where I was like, look, I might have to miss class occasionally because I freelance and if I freelance then I could pay my tuition. And I ended up getting my first job at a men's salon called John Allen's um, that spring, mm -hmm. probably I want to say April. And in my mind, and this is kind of where the crossover began, I was like, you know, I'm just going to go, I'm going to get more education. You know, unfortunately in barber school, they don't teach you a ton about scissor work or, you know, styling. And I really wanted that experience. And I just, I convinced myself, I was like, this is just to make some extra money. This is to have some consistent income between freelance work. <laughs> and um, I ended up bouncing around um, different barbershops and salons for approximately um, three, three and a half years before I finally rented my own chair. Um, and I bombed. Really? Year. I bombed. As far as so what though? Bad. I I really just had this myopic, you know, this short-sighted view of what that looked like. I thought I was just going to bring my clients. I was on the third floor, tucked away, no street signage. And in my mind, I was like, well, how do you build a business here? I was just really in survival mode. And I had a really bad experience at my last job. They weren't giving us bathroom breaks. They weren't giving us lunch breaks. They were having us do haircuts on the 30, beer trims on the 15, ideally both within 30 if you could. I was seeing anywhere from 20 to 30 clients a day wow. or at least services. My health was destroyed. My mental, physical, emotional health was destroyed from uh, I had learned so much though. So I had this huge clientele and I was just like, okay, cool. Like go follow me. It's only a couple blocks away. And they did at first, but you know, I think all of us know the, the biggest part of this career is not only how well you cut hair, but how well you communicate the experience you provide the way that you promote yourself. So that when your clients do tell their friends or family, it's not like an excuse of why 
your online presence doesn't represent your work, but rather a boast of like, look how awesome this person is. They do all these things and this is their online presence. Um, so for the first year, my business and, uh, you know, Misty and I are on video, but for anybody who's listening, it's just, it's a downward spiral. Um, it's a really bad downward trend, but I, I ended up losing a lot of clients, a lot of money. Um, Unfortunately, there was a software program that I was using for booking that was involved and they were pretty new and they had a lot of tech issues, but unfortunately weren't on top of it. So I had this difficulty with establishing boundaries of like, hey, I want you to book online, right? Training your clients to do so, but them saying I would, but the it's not working. Isn't working. So there was a lot of frustration there. Um, and a lot of things I just, I personally could have done to get ahead of all of it. And um, so, yeah, about a year and a couple months into it, I hit like my lowest, my debt was at its highest. And I kind of had that. Um, what the fuck that did I moment. do? Yeah. That <laughs> moment where I was like, okay, I can't keep asking my parents for help. My parents have always been so supportive, but I don't like asking them for help. And, you know, this is it. I literally had three months left of like, I calculated how much I could put on credit cards to survive. And I had three months. And after that I was tapped out. No credit card company was going to extend my credit. No, you know, or my limit. Nobody was going to not charge me all those fees for going over your limit. It, it was done game over in three months. And I really sat down and decided like, okay, if I'm going to do this, you know, I, I quit freelancing because that was obviously taking some of my attention. I just really assessed and it's hard, right? Cause there's a lot of ego involved. You oh yeah. That you're doing everything right. But when you really sit down and look at it from the perspective of a potential client or a current client, because they're just as important, you know, what is missing here? Why do these people not trust me? Why are they not you know, banging on my door and saying like, you're the best. Um, even if you're not right. But right. I, so I you really had the burnout going on broke yeah. basically. Yeah. And then as well as like just a lack of customer experience, was that essentially yeah. where you were at at that point? Yeah. I mean, I feel like you could have, you know, sugarcoated it a little bit, but yeah, <laughs> that's, that's where I was. I was $68,000 in credit card debt. I couldn't even afford, afford my overhead for that month. That was August. And, um, yeah, I was burnt out and I was actually really burnt out because I had just had a really bad experience on set where I did the cover shoot. I cut the celebrity's hair, gave them a totally new look and the magazine was not paying me, nor were they crediting me online. And I had to fight for all of that. And by the mm -hmm. time they finally did, they were on to the next shoot. So nobody really even paid attention. Luckily, the celebrity gave me a lot of credit. So, um, and they're still my client to this day. Awesome. But that was that moment where I was like, you know what? I don't need net 60, net 75, net 180. I have clients who love and value me. And I have a credit card processing system that deposits the money the next day. I'm going to focus on this. And when I, and if I do return to freelance work, it will be because I want to, not because yeah. I have to. Amen to that. And yeah. So that's, that's the journey and the arc of how I uh, was only supposed to learn barbering and ended up 
becoming a full-blown studio barber. Behind well, the so what barber. happened? Cause you're in this place, right? So, mm-hmm. so something happened where you were like, screw this. Like, like something has to change because this is not your reality anymore. Right. Like you have yeah. a completely different, beautiful business at this point. Right. Yeah. So what I, was uh, the breaking point? I don't know. There's always kind of been this aspect to me that and, and anybody who's listening, I'm sure that they've experienced this at some point as well. There's this equal guilt for not being grateful for the success you have in front of you, but also this moment where you say, I don't love what I do right now and something needs to change. And that's a really scary moment because as somebody who doesn't have a college education, who, you know, um, had a lot of debt. And, you know, who had two tiny dogs to take care of. I, I couldn't, you know, it's not like if I starve, I starve. You know, these dogs right. still needed vet bills and, and food and, you know, all the, the good things because that's what I promised when I adopted them. And it's like, it's just that moment where you're like, enough is enough. Like, I, I don't know what it is. I'll figure it out. And becoming a barber for me, you know, like I said, at first was just supposed to be dipping my toes in the water, but I realized that it really gave me this opportunity to not only make people feel better, but there was, um, there was an intimate connection with somebody else. They trust you, they value you, they value your opinion. And um, as the years went on, I, I learned how to run my chair, how to control it, right? So the clients that didn't bring good energy, just kind of naturally fell off. Mm-hmm. Um, not that I was rude to them, but they could just tell I'm not here for that. And the clients who really did value me and have supported me, some of them for seven and a half years, eight, eight years since my first job now. Um, there's just, there's that connection that you, you know that this person not relies on you because I don't think it's that, but they just, there's this inherent trust. And I just knew that I could help someone fix any, sorry, my dog. Okay. <laughs> she has um, you could enhance people's I'm, lives. Yeah, I can enhance people's lives. I'm a pragmatic person. And when I was a makeup artist, I felt a lot of um, imposter syndrome because I couldn't do editorial creative makeup just like that. Um, and I really wanted to desperately be valued for the clean work I could do. So when I had all these people sitting in my chair and it was something as simple as, oh, well, nobody could ever get this cowlick to not stand up or nobody can ever get my hair to do this. I saw it as an opportunity to not only fix something for these people and to enhance how they see themselves, but also to show them like, you don't have to settle. You know, you might not get exactly what you're looking for, but we can get really close to it. And that's like such a big trust building aspect, like educating a client on something that like they, that drives them nuts is huge. Like a calic that they don't know how to maintain. If a stylist can come in and teach them how to like battle it, <laughs> battle it exactly. you have a client for life, right? <laughs> yeah. And, you know, these were the, the exact folks who, you know, when I finally decided to get out of debt, they were the ones cheering me on. They were the ones coming to me with ideas and different ways to reduce debt. And, you know, um, just 
you know, supporting me. And I don't know, there was just that moment where I said, you know, I'm going to just cut ties with freelance for now. Celebrities are great. Um, models are great, but there will never be the same relationship that you have with your client one-on-one -on -one when you're standing behind the chair um, and they're choosing you every three, four, five, six plus weeks. Um, I think there's something really to be said about being chosen. And I appreciated that. Did you struggle walking away from freelance, like mentally? Like, like what was the thing in your head? Or was it just like, nope, I'm done, ready to go? I was so done. Yeah. <laughs> I was so done. I, you know what, it, it was that breaking point. I, I knew for a long time that I did not love my freelance work because of how a lot of freelance artists are treated, which is a real shame. Mm. But um, I relied on it, right? Out of fear because that day rate <clears throat> could sometimes be my week long paycheck in the shop. And so once things started changing and my days in the shop mirrored that rate, yeah, I was working on more people, but I wasn't traveling. I wasn't carrying, you know, a, a Zuka and a suitcase full of stuff, you know, on the subway and, and down the street and over the bridge. And I, I didn't, I didn't have to do all of that. Right. And I didn't have to negotiate my rate. I didn't have to tell people I, you know, needed to be paid in a certain amount of time. All of that just came naturally and it was understood so that moment I just snapped I was like you know what I'm okay you know I'm not yeah. being respected I'm not being paid in a timely fashion and like I said earlier I'll return to it when I'm ready mm -hmm. and that was about the summer will be about oh geez what we're summer 21 sorry time is a construct um <laughs> that was about five years ago four, do you think you'll ever ago. be ready again I have just started dabbling with the idea of maybe re-entering freelance work, but I'm still not even fully convinced yet because I've heard from a lot of colleagues that a lot of productions, unfortunately, are not taking this uh, this time, you know, this virus seriously. So they're still trying to turn out a lot of talent in a short amount of time, not giving people proper time to sanitize. And um, that concerns me because I, I think that we all need to take this seriously, whether or not, you know, uh, we live in a really busy area or a really, you know, kind of slow and quiet area because all, all I know is that when I used to freelance, my biggest fear was somebody saying, I got pink eye, oh. right? <laughs> right? Or I had a, a skin rash or reaction, you know, things that like, can yeah, spread. That that that's scary and that can spread and and that means your tools are now, you know, potentially shot and your makeup shot and everybody knows your kit is expensive. But now we're talking about somebody saying right. I have this virus and therefore you may too, which that if, you know, god forbid you are sick, you're out of work. Right. And right. we don't get paid for days off. So, exactly. um I can't control how production behaves on set, but I can control how I behave and how my clients behave in the studio. And all of my clients have been super respectful. And uh, we've only had one incident of someone showing up with a head cold and that was not okay pre-COVID and certainly not okay now. But uh, 
Yeah, that's the truth. The clients that come in sick, <laughs> I, I would have clients come in. I'll never forget somebody came in one time and literally had to go to the bathroom to throw up. And she tried to tell me that it was like something that she ate. And it was very obvious that this wasn't the case. And all she said was, I know if I canceled, I wouldn't be able to get in for a couple of weeks. And I'm thinking, well, now possibly hair. like 20 people won't be able to get in. Cause if you did, luckily I did not get yeah. sick, but it's like, come on yeah. people. Like, <laughs> Well, and this client showed up sick for a beard trim. Oh, like right so, in your face. Right in my face. And <laughs> I just remember, <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm laughing because this guy showed up. And he, at this point, had been showing up a little bit later and later for his appointments, whereas he used to be, if not five minutes early, perfectly on time. So I was already a little frustrated with him about that. And that was on me for not saying something sooner. But he showed up, he texted me. So I went to go greet him. And I don't know about you, but through the mask, you know, there's there's not a lot that you can tell in terms of hearing. Oh, this was during COVID time? This, this was just like a, a couple months ago. Oh, this was like God. A month. So I went back to work June 28th, I want to say. So almost a year ago, two weeks short of a year ago. And I had not had one single incident of somebody doing this. So I almost made it a full year without incident. And this guy shows up and he comes every week for a beard trim. Okay. So it's not like it was a necessity. We're not talking about months. Like you can wait and, one more week. <laughs> yeah. And I could hear how his voice was gravelly. And I looked at him and mind you, this is a client who travels, you know, and I, again, was a little flexible on that. You know, I wasn't requiring a negative test because he was coming so often, which is something I should have done, but I just wore an N95 and a triple ply over it and sanitized the room every time. And I just looked at him and I said, are you sick? And, you know, uh, he said to me, he said, uh, no, it's just a head cold. Mm. And I looked at him and I said, okay, because he's French. So there might be a little bit of a language barrier. So I said to him, I'm going to be very clear. Are you sick or do you have allergies? Yeah. Do you have bodily fluids coming out of your nose? (laughs) while you want me to take my tools and my hands and my face right here and I just turned to him and I said let's be clear are you sick or is it a head cold or is it allergies and he said no it's a head cold (laughs) yeah at least he was honest (laughs) he was honest but I just looked at him and I said I can't take you and he said seriously like as if I was messing with him and I said Did you travel this last week to Florida? And he said, yes. And I said, I cannot in good conscience take you. You should not even be in the space. Right. We hadn't even left the lobby yet at this point. And, um, you know, this, this all leads back to you asking, what was that moment that like kind of snap? And this is when I actually changed my rate structure because I said, you know what, I've been so concerned about my clients and their feelings and, and if they would be upset at me for changing my rates. And you know what, this guy, unfortunately proves that some people do not even consider us or our health or, you know, our income. So if we're going to get paid, we're going to get paid where I know for a fact I can budget really good health insurance and and potentially pay into, you know, like a sick day fund for myself. Right. And, um, 
he looked at me and he says, are you serious? And I said, I absolutely am serious. You signed a COVID waiver. And he said, well, I don't think it's COVID. I said, well, neither of us are doctors. So we don't know. (laughs) And he said, so what? Am I going to get charged even though I'm not choosing to cancel? And at this point, I had been keeping it very like low and conversational like this. And I just snapped and I said very loudly in front of other people, I go, you know what? I won't today, but I should charge you because that's what it says in the consent form. Yeah. But now you have to go and get tested negative twice before your next appointment. Did you ever see him again? Oh yeah. No, he still comes. Oh, well, that's good. I got an apology text the next day. Yeah. But it was just that moment. I walked into my friend. Her name is Franny. I walked into Franny's suite and I said, you know what? That's it. Yeah. No more Mrs. Nice Guy. I am changing my rates. I am standing firm in it. And if, if a financial boundary is the one that will kind of weed out the folks who are serious about me and who are not, then this is it. And she just looked at me and she said, you got all that from a guy having a stuffy nose. And I said, yeah. yep. Yep. That's but it's, it. so, it is so true. It is so true. Like you can, I mean, raising your prices always draw. I mean, sometimes it drops off people that you love. It does happen mm-hmm. from time to time, but it really does weed out the stressful people or it makes the stressful people more worth it. <laughs> like, so you change your prices. You now do all inclusive pricing, correct? I do. Yeah. So I would love, I want you to tell me about that. It's something I've wanted to do for quite a few years, but I just did not have the, for lack of better terms, the balls to do it. I didn't feel like my space was indicative of the services and the experience I provided. Um, you know, the last two places I was renting. So after COVID I moved to this beautiful, you know, studio suite and every single client who has walked in has commented, wow, this is beautiful. And in the back of my mind, I was like, I'm really glad you think so. Cause it costs more than double <laughs> what I was paying before. So, um, I knew I was at that point finally where my services, uh, my reputation and my space allowed me to change things up. And that's when I actually came across destroy the hairdresser. And, you know, they were saying some very, very problematic things like, you should not be accepting tips or gratuity and, um, oh, yeah, they ruffle not be some double feathers. Booking. I love it. <laughs> yeah. You should not be double booking clients. I'm like, yes, yes, yes. And yes, I love this. So I got myself a coach because I believe all of us need a, a coach, whether it's finance, mental health, business, all of it. hundred percent um, agree. Yeah. And with coach joy, I implemented an all-inclusive rate structure. So, um, Basically, what that means is that any services within a reasonable time frame, uh, sales tax and gratuity are all inclusive of this rate. It's transparent, it's honest, and there's no surprises at the end. Some clients even still go to offer myself or, or Sheldon, who works for me, a tip at the end. And we say, no, really, all-inclusive means all-inclusive. And we're finding folks, especially the ones who pay cash, are still tipping and Again, it's about establishing that boundary so that it's an even playing field for all clients. Um, but what do you do in that case? Like if somebody, like if you insist no tips, no tips, and they're like, no, I want to give this to you, do you still take it or do you, 
Like, are you worried that they'll think one day, like you have to fit them in because they pay you extra or like, and that's exactly, I was going to say, I've been in the service industry for more than half my life. And I have a strange opinion of tips for somebody who has been a bartender and a barber and a makeup artist. I, you know, bridal makeup artist. I don't love tipping because it's either pay to play Mm -hmm. uh, out of the kindness of someone's heart or, you know, finally um, punitive. Mm -hmm. And that is really tough because pay to play, like you just said, is somebody approaching you like, well, I've tipped you before, or I've taken care of you. And it's like, okay. And I've taken care of you. A gratuity is a gift. I never expect it. The fact that you gifted me with it to me is just a form of wealth redistribution (laughs) and mutual aid. So thank you because now I have supported my local bartender or my local dog groomer with that money. Right. Or your plant. Uh, I'm a little upset you haven't mentioned your plants yet because I love your plants. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Uh, For anybody who is wondering, I am at 29 and a half because of my propagation. Um, <laughs> awesome. I, I, I love my plants. Um, I started with one when I moved into this apartment last July and I am now at 29 and a half. So um, it's an addiction. I, I, I don't have a problem. I yeah. don't know what you're talking about. Um, so yeah, the, the pay to play is very stressful because now all of a sudden you feel indebted to this person to a degree. Um, then the kindness out of someone's heart. I have a couple of clients who no matter what, they always over tip. They always buy a ton of products. They always are gracious and kind and they just genuinely love taking care of the folks who take care of them. Yeah. And those are the hardest ones to say no to because I know that they're just really trying to pay it forward in a way. And then finally the punitive clients, the ones who like to, I don't know, for example, show up late to their appointment and they have two services booked, right? And this was a really big factor in me shifting from a commodity-based pricing system to an hourly-based uh, pricing system where somebody would show up 15, 20, 30 minutes late to their hour and a half appointment for a haircut and a beer trim. And that's when they would say, oh, it's okay. Don't worry. We don't have to do insert service here. So now I'm stuck with the awkward conversation and decision of, do I charge this person uh, for a service they are not receiving to their face and therefore punitively not receive a tip uh, and potentially lose the client, right? Because that's pretty aggressive, tipping or charging someone for something they're not receiving to their face. Right. (laughs) That's that's pretty aggressive. Um, Or alternatively, do I eat this, receive the tip? which is significantly less and barely makes a dent in the service and keep the client who just disrespected the heck out of my time. And not only my time, but the client after them, because if I were to go over, that's disrespectful to the client that took the time to show up. So let's discuss this for one second. So you say it's hard to um, basically take money from a client for something that they didn't receive to their face, right? But what about like cancel, like no show policies or like when you go to the doctor, right. And you have an appointment, if you don't show up, they're going to charge you. Like, like, wouldn't it be the same thing? I mean, if they come in, you didn't show up. True. It's easy to Uh, text or over the phone and be like, you didn't show up. Yeah, you're right. But for somebody who did show up and is like trying to negotiate 
with you on, you know, the fact that they didn't get the service done. They're like, but I didn't cancel it. You just can't do it. So what do you do <laughs> when you showed up late? with all inclusive? Like, do you still charge because they paid for that block oh, of yeah. time? So, so with all inclusive, I, cause it's essentially an this, hourly rate, correct? Exactly. So yeah. I have this belief that, um, we infantilize adults way too much in the workplace, in life, in your local bar, you know, you, we infantilize adults. And as a result, there's almost this belief that they should be taken care of no matter what. So with the old pricing structure, what I would do is I had, I always have pre-typed text messages about uh, eight or nine minutes into the appointment. Hey, we're approaching 10 minutes into your appointment. After 15, I will not be able to take you. At 15, hey, we're 15 minutes into your appointment. At this point, if you are not like right outside, I will not be able to take you. It will be considered a late cancellation slash no-show. <clears throat> I usually would even give it to 20 minutes, but then I would be stressed with trying to get through all the motions. Um, with this new hourly system, I have noticed that there is a significant sociological shift in how people approach their sessions. They are no longer looking at it like, oh, we can skip the shave or we can skip the shampoo. They're now looking at it like I'm paying for this time, mm. which is ironic because all their appointments before were always an hour anyway, due to COVID. Right. So that I had time to clean up and everything in between. Um, so now when people are late, I'll wait about 15 or so minutes into their appointment and say, hey, just checking to see where you are. Because I do believe that you can give people the courtesy, maybe like right. their boss kept them on the phone and they didn't even realize how much time had passed or, you know, whatever. Um, I won't turn them away anymore. Mm -hmm. I will still take them. But if you decide to be 35 minutes late to your hour long appointment, we'll, you know, maybe trim the beard or maybe trim the sides. Um, but you, you get what you get. charge for the whole hour, correct? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, and now they yeah. know that. So I'm assuming you're probably getting much less, uh, um, late or we well, probably don't yeah. get a lot of no shows. I would think it, I mean, the irony of the no show is, or the late cancellation is that for the longest time before COVID, you know, after COVID, it's obviously a little bit different, but um, it was always the new clients who tried me. It's like, yeah. they didn't know me. They didn't know your boundaries so they, yet. They didn't think I was actually going to charge them. Right. Right. Whereas with my regulars, it's always been very much a thing of, Hey, I'm so sorry. A, a really great story that changed my perspective was a client and he's a wonderful client. But he does tend to cancel last minute a lot. Um, and by last minute, I mean like an hour or two before. And um, one day I was driving into work and he texted me. He goes, hey, I ended up in the hospital. I thought I'd be out. You know, he's older and he has some health issues. So I'd be out in time. You know, I'm so sorry. Go ahead and charge my card. Please give yourself a 20% tip. I will book when I get a chance. And this had actually been around the time I learned from destroy the hairdresser, not to count your client's pockets. That, yes. that fun phrase. Mm -hmm. And, um, I had said to him, no, don't worry about it. You're such a great client. Like, I'm so sorry you're, you're unwell. Like just focus on getting better. This happens. And you've always paid when you've canceled. And he said to me, I don't know how to say this without sounding like a dick, but I have the money and I'd rather it go to you than sit in my account and I wasted your time and I hope maybe you'll take yourself to breakfast or lunch 
and just enjoy the weather. And I will see you as soon as I get better. I got the and, chills. <laughs> <laughs> and it was just such a moment where I was like, oh my goodness. Now compared to the, the guy who showed up sick and was asking me like, oh, well, I don't have to pay, do I? Right. And it's just, it's such a 180 in the perspective of how you, the bare minimum of what we as service providers have been trained to expect versus what we deserve and what we should expect in a way. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think with the new hourly rate, I have noticed way less people showing up late, maybe five minutes at most, which is totally fine. Uh, one person was significantly late, but their train was stalled by a sick passenger. And this is somebody who is never late. So I was very flexible with them. Um, you know, I, I've seen people be really respectful of my time where, you know, the all-inclusive means all-inclusive. So if your haircut only takes 30 minutes, then we have 30 minutes. Maybe we could do a hot towel shave or a hot towel, you know, like an express facial or a hot towel over your face while you get a 10 minute scalp massage at the shampoo bowl. I really don't care what that looks like. Put me to work because the whole idea was not just bouncing people out quickly as possible. I want to attract the client that wants to take care of themselves. And, and for some people, it may be just a matter of valuing my efficiency while still not feeling rushed out the door. And I'm not going to force anything on them, but a lot of clients have been super respectful and like, oh, I, I don't want to take advantage. I don't want to have you doing too much. I'm like, no, put me to work. I enjoy this stuff. I want to show you what self-care can look like. And a lot of people have really been leaning into it and really excited by it. So I've been grateful for that transition as well. That's awesome. I really think that we oh, no. kind of, a lot of us have this fear mm -hmm. that like that old man, right? Like that those people don't even exist or that we don't deserve to have clients like that. <laughs> I, I was saying, I think that a lot of times um, the story that we tell ourselves in our heads as stylists is that like that, like that old man that wanted to pay you, even though he was in the hospital, like we think that those clients don't exist. Like we think that there's not people out there that are willing to, you know, work around our schedule, pay prices, um, respect us as business people. Like we just have this story that that's not either something we deserve or that we're not good enough to have those clients or that they just don't exist. And it's just not true. Do you agree? I do. Um, it's a daily battle. Anybody who says otherwise is, is a dirty stinking liar. Because, I agree. <laughs> you know, even with this rate change, you know, the first two weeks I was booked solid, but it is also summertime, but naturally my brain reverts to, oh my gosh, no, this rate was too much. I'm too much. People think it's too much. But the truth is, is yes, like you said earlier, unfortunately, a lot of people are going to fall off when you do an aggressive change. The irony being that if I had changed my rate for each service by, let's say, 20 or $15, and then still, not that you can require gratuity, but didn't have gratuity inclusive, and started charging sales tax because I've always absorbed sales tax, it would come out to about the same but then you wouldn't be able to have the opportunity to get other services included in that session. Right. So I think sometimes, you know, no matter how much you explain your reasoning or your changes or the fact that it's actually beneficial to some people where they actually may be saving money, spending the same amount of money, et cetera, et cetera, you cannot change someone else's mind when they are committed to misunderstanding 
you or your reasoning. So every single day I have to sit down, I, you know, make my coffee, I light my candle. Sometimes I do my tarot card reading or I'll, you know, water my plants or I'll play with my dogs. And I just use that moment to reflect on the fact that all I can do is what's arguably best for me, my business and the people I support as a result of that. And hopefully that attracts the right people. And, you know, at the end of the day, I didn't lose all of my clients. So obviously it wasn't that crazy. It's just that it was crazy for some people. And it's always going to be crazy for some people. Well, and like you said, anytime there's a transition, like it's, you're going to lose people. I remember raising my prices and stopped. I stopped working Saturdays at the same time and I lost so (laughs) many people, but it was like this weird, like slower, like couple months that like freaked me out because I wasn't used to it. And then all of a sudden it was filling with literally dream clients. Like, and then next thing you know, it was like the dream schedule and the dream situation. And I think sometimes you just have to stick it out when you're making a transition because things don't have nothing, nothing worth having happens overnight. You know, sometimes you just have to like set your mind to it, do it. This is good for me. And the people that belong in your life, like they will come, it will happen. Exactly. And I think um, one of the other changes I actually made for this summer, which I cannot recommend enough to anybody else is I realized historically summers are slow plus my transition. So what I usually end up doing is letting the summer fly by feeling really upset and stressed that I didn't get to go to the beach enough. I didn't get to see my parents enough. I didn't get to travel enough. And that obviously being amplified by COVID this last year and the restrictions that were imposed. So what I decided is I'm going to work two weeks and then take one week off this summer without telling anybody that I am taking off because you know, get in where you fit in sort of thing. Um, well, you do not have to explain things to people. Like that's another thing. Like I talk to my coaching clients a lot about a lot. Like you really don't have to say, sorry, I don't have that day available because I'm going to be hanging out with my kids and you know what I mean? Or whatever. Like, yeah. like you don't have to, you can literally just say, nope, I'm not available on that day. What about next Monday? Yep. And you know, um, that was already put to the test a couple weeks ago because I spent the week in New Jersey with my parents. My mom has had three back surgeries during the course of my barber career. And my dad, you know, works retail standing every day mm. and he has problems with his knees and his feet and his joints. So they can't garden like they used to. They can't take care of the house in every aspect like they used to. They do need some help. And I also really hated missing out on almost what, six months with them last year. So it really was a wake up call to me to really value that time with them and value time outside and, you know, just slowing down a little bit and grounding myself, right? Like working in a garden is hard work, but it's rewarding. And, um, you know, uh, basically what it does is it allows me to be in control. It gives me that sense of, I'm not doing it because I'm afraid or fearful of my clients. I'm doing it because I want to. So I ended up taking all of that week off except Friday because one client did say, hey, we'll be visiting from Maine. I'd love to see you. If you're not around, not a problem. Just thought I would ask. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to open up my book because I'll still have Sunday through Thursday off and I'll work. I'll be really busy Friday and then I'll be off Saturday through Monday again. 
And I'm okay with that. And I, I did, I had a very busy day. I was book solid. And the same thing is coming up for this coming week. I'm doing a girl's trip to Greenport, Long Island on the North Fork, uh, Sunday through Wednesday morning. And then I'm going to work half a day Wednesday and I'm book solid already. And then I'm going to go to New Jersey to see my dad for a belated Father's Day and spend some time with him and my mom again and, and help in the garden and and then have a few days off, you know, Saturday, Sunday, Monday before I go back to work. I cannot stress how much it has helped the staving off the burnout because I had a really bad burnout about a month and a half ago. You know, I made it so long because I was so buried in my work that when I finally came up for air, it just hit me like a ton of bricks. And just like an earthquake, it does have those those after effects, right? So every time those after effects start to sneak in, I'm like, oh, look, I have a week off. And yeah. I think we all deserve that. And I think for some reason we have all embodied and, and taken in this idea that if we're not working, we're not of value, but we are. Yeah, and, and you can make the light that you want to make that feels good to you. It doesn't matter what everyone else is doing. Like you're allowed to work three days, three weeks a month. If that feels good to you, like it just because, you know, every other stylist that you see is working a certain schedule. Doesn't mean that you have to work that schedule. Like it doesn't make you not successful. It doesn't make you lazy. It's like, it, it makes your life more fulfilling. <laughs> yeah. And I think for all of us who work with our hands, no matter what that looks like, estheticians, makeup artists, barbers, hairstylists, uh, you know, the, the truth is, is we have been told repeatedly, if you are not behind the chair, you are not making money. And that is an unfortunate truth. But, you know, if you are behind the chair and you're burning yourself out and you're working your body to shambles, you're not going to make as much money anyway, because your clients are going to be able to tell and it's going to reflect and they might take it personally. And you can't blame them for that because if you show up differently than you did all the other times with them, they're going to notice. And it's because partially they care about you and partially they care about the work that you're doing on their hair or skin or nails. So um, yeah, yeah. I, I, I agree with you 1000%. And not to mention that your career will probably be shortened <laughs> you know, for various uh, carpal tunnels, all the other situations. So I want to actually switch gears a little bit. Um, talk to me about um, her chair, his hair. Oh, look at you. Brownie points. Uh, my favorite <laughs> tongue twister I've ever created. Her chair, his hair. I um, Going back real quick to mental health and tying that in, I have actually taken a hiatus from it this last year. We um, used the funds that we had raised at our last event to disperse emergency COVID relief, uh, originally intended for business grants and you know loans, microloans, but ultimately I saw that people were having difficulty even paying for utilities like electricity or maybe their landlords you know, in other states other than New York were threatening to evict them and um, they couldn't, buy food. Right. So um, with her chair, his hair, I started as a barber with a belief that you go to school, you get your license, you build a clientele and you apprentice or learn from other barbers. And as a result, you gain respect. Mm -hmm. And what I realized very shortly thereafter is if you are a woman who happens to be a barber, 
uh, or vice versa, whichever way you look at it. Um, everybody is either astonished or in disbelief mm-hmm. because somehow the two just didn't go together. Um, even though historically women have been barbers since uh, the, the 1920s, you know, I think some of the first women were admitted to a barber college. So, um, I started Her Chair, His Hair with the goal of promoting other women on social media. I knew nothing about social media. I was and continue to say I am not the best at it. (laughs) And I was just reaching out to all these women who did wonderful work and was like, look, I think it's great. Some of these pages are posting pictures of you looking beautiful, but I'd like to post pictures and videos of you doing the work so that it is undeniably you create his haircut like nobody can say oh she just posed with it afterwards and um it ended up catching on and I was really grateful for that and by our first birthday uh we were actually invited to do an all women's showcase on stage at Premier Orlando for a brand which was the first time yeah it would be the first time that ever happened and we sold out the booth and that was great and we had a great group of women so then that proceeded to uh, roll over into Bronner Brothers Atlanta that August. And while I was at Bronner Brothers, I was like, you know, we really have something here. People, especially other women, want to see representation yeah. of themselves. And um, so I put together our first fundraising event in New York City for that October within like a month and a half. I pulled every string possible that I had. and. Nobody except for Mr. Beauty Equipment actually wanted to sponsor it. And even then, you know, Mr. Beauty Equipment was giving us free barber chairs, but it was like, you have to pick them up and drop them off unless you want to pay for that service. Why would people not uh, want to sponsor? Because it was new or what's it was the reason? New. Her chair, his hair didn't have a ton of followers at the time. And, you know, I didn't blame them. I really, I didn't because who was I? Who was, who, who was her chair, his hair? you know, aside from our core following. So I came out of pocket almost Mm $5,000. I opened up a credit card specifically (laughs) to host this event. And we did pay as you go. You know, there wasn't a set admission because again, this hadn't been done before. And I really wanted people to come and see And I wanted to elevate, especially barber events. You know, at the time they were usually hosted in barbershops. They were packed in. It was a lot of men. Women did not feel comfortable. So I had it in like a loft space tucked away, New York City. And we had a great time. We had a DJ. We had, um, you know, a bar. Like I bought all the booze. So it was Prosecco, Heineken, and bottled water. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. You know, we just did pay as you go for, for the admission and then, you know, tip or donate as you get drinks. And we only ended up raising just over a thousand dollars. And right before the event had happened, I really felt like something was missing. And, um, because it wasn't initially a fundraiser, it was just an event, you know, a showcase. And I realized, I was like, I don't want to keep this money. I'd rather donate it. So that year we did it for breast cancer and everybody thought I was crazy. They're like, just take the thousand dollars. Like you spent so much money on this event. And I said, no, you know, it doesn't feel right to me. Um, I'd rather donate it. So that's what started our annual fundraiser. And for the next couple of years, we got more sponsorships. We got more donations. And 
our last year, we officially became a nonprofit. Awesome. We had, I want to say 20 women showcasing from around the country. We paid for their flight and their hotel and we had a full bar. We had our DJ, uh, her name is DJ T-Rex and she comes from Texas every year and she's awesome. We had my mom as always working the front door with a couple other volunteers, uh, Nespresso, you know, uh, supplied coffee for the education. And, you know, we had um, a friend of mine, uh, you know, who owns a restaurant provide brunch. And, you know, it it just, it was a full fledged event and we raised $13,000. That's so awesome. Thank you. Yeah. It was our most by far. And um, the the last two years before that combined, we had raised 12,000 for another nonprofit called the door, which helps serve underprivileged youth in New York city. But ultimately it was about not only supporting these women and putting them out there for the industry to see, but for me, it was seeing a safe space for people to come together. You know, people with anxiety who don't want to be stuffed into a convention center, people who really need to meet other people in the industry and aren't going to an event where people just are there to be seen, not to actually network and grow with each other. And, and most importantly, for us to just really come together and say, like, we're here to support everyone because our events were usually pretty 50 50 men and women yeah uh which is not the norm for a lot of these events so i think it gave a lot of people the space to say like oh this is really cool and i feel comfortable and safe here and um yeah so that 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 is her share his hair in a nutshell um it grew into something I could have never imagined before or even believed it would. And I am so grateful for the people that it has introduced me to, the lessons it has taught me, and and the fact that I was able to help others with the help of others because I would have never been able to do what I had done without the support of this industry. So it really helped me fall deeper and deeper in love with this industry um, as the years went on. And I also think that's why I'm still standing behind the chair as a barber eight and a half years later. I don't know if that would have been possible without having such an amazing community. Well, there's so much like passion behind that, right? Like it's like you started and it, you know, it wasn't like it was because you wanted to make money, you know, you did it because you (laughs) wanted to make an impact and that's huge. What do you think, uh, what do you want for the future? of her chair, his hair? That is a very good question that I have been thinking about for the last 14 months. Um, the, the obvious choice is for me to return to it, to continue doing what we were doing. But I think along with the new norm, there is a new demand in this industry. And I don't know if the way her chair, his hair always was, will serve it, uh, whatever that may look like, as vague as that sounds. I do know that when I do return to her chair, his hair, I would like to focus heavily on education and promoting women as educators uh, in the field, because it's true, you still see a lot of men, you know, uh, educating all, you know, all male lineups. And I would like to see more women, uh, just a balance, right? Not a takeover. Right. But I also think 
something I'm really proud of is that we've always been pretty darn inclusive and diverse uh, with the women we showcase. I am a firm believer that this industry across the board gets whitewashed um, time, time and time again. And um, I think to a degree, my time as being the face of her chair, his hair has come to an end because I don't represent these women the way that somebody else could. So I think it, it kind of struck me the other day. My goal is to find one, two, three women who really represent the, the way forward and the diversity of this industry and kind of hand over the reins to them and let them do with it as they see fit. You know, I will still be here to support and help guide and connect them with people. But ultimately, if somebody else wants to take over those reins, you know, because they represent the true diversity of this industry that has been long tucked away, then I'm, I'm perfectly open to that. Because the truth is, is like, we talk about it, we talk about, you know, uh, opening up doors for other women, women of color, uh, especially black women, indigenous women, and, and everybody else. And at the end of the day, you still see a lot of women who look like us, you know, on these panels who look like us, uh, owning these brands and promoting these events. And I do think it's time to change. And if I can possibly be a tiny factor in that, then I think that's the way forward for her chair. Husser. I love that. Are you going to be able to give away your baby like that? <laughs> <laughs> I laugh because a really sick joke just came to mind. Oh, I was adopted from birth. I was adopted from birth. So I'm like, eh, oh. it comes second nature. Oh. Um, <laughs> no, for everybody listening. We have uh, the same yeah. kind of humor, so it's fine. Yeah, <laughs> Listeners, sorry about that. <laughs> yeah. That's not the root of my trauma. I promise you. My parents are amazing. Um, <laughs> I I don't know if it's necessarily giving it away or just knowing that it's going to be really. No, let me let me correct that. It is being given away, but it's not necessarily mine to give away. I think the way that a lot of us approach things that we built or even money, right? Is that we own it, but we never have ownership over much in this world. Uh, things will evolve, they will change and they will change hands as a result. And I think just like with money, you know, and it's something I learned recently that I really, really appreciated from my coach is that all we can do is be really good stewards of it. Yep. And when it's time for it to leave our nest, to leave our hands, all we can do is hope that it continues to do good for the next person. And so, like I said, I mean, legally, Her Chair, His Hair will still remain mine as a nonprofit, but I will give the creative reins and the, you know, the knowledge that I have to the next person because they will be the next steward and they will bring Her Chair, His Hair into its next, hopefully, decade. Um, and I'm okay with that. I love that. I absolutely love that. Um, I think it's awesome to see people who actually are taking action um, rather than just talking about it. <laughs> thank you. So, so, th so thank you for that. Um, are you going to BarberCon? Oh, 
wow, are you going to BarberCon? Um, because I will be. I will be at all three BarberCons. I've never uh, been. I, I don't, I don't, something about BarberCon scares me. <laughs> you know what? And I'm, I'm kind of glad you said that because that was always my intention with the Her Chair, His Hair fundraisers is to make sure people didn't feel scared. Um, don't, don't, don't be scared about BarberCon. Lee Resnick, who is the, you know, the founder of Barbershop Connect and runs BarberCon is a really awesome guy. And he always strives to have a really, uh, inclusive event. Uh, usually it's both indoor and outdoor, which is nice, especially with COVID, uh, right now, but I love BarberCon. It is a massive event, but it still feels intimate. Um, Where is it? Is it in New York? So they have three this year. They have Austin, Texas in September. They've got Ooh. New York City in October and they've got LA in November. And I think, don't hold me to it, but I will be at all three because of Schedulicity, uh, the booking platform I use. So awesome. they have asked me to, at least at the very least, I know I'm definitely doing Austin and New York and fingers crossed for LA because I do love Los Angeles. So I don't mind going <coughs> cough, cough, schedulicity. Um, <laughs> but hint, hint. yeah, it's a really great, op- <laughs> it's a great opportunity to get a ton of education, to meet a ton of people. We've all been kind of cooped up and we haven't been able to, you know, test out and touch new tools and new products. So I will be bouncing all over the place, smelling all the the pomades and, you know, testing out all the clippers and buying all the t-shirts to support everyone. So yes, I will be at BarberCon. Awesome. 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 Cassie, thank you so much. This was a great conversation. Thank you. Is there anything (laughs) that you, where can the people find you? Is there anything that you would like to tell everyone um, about what you've got coming up? I feel like we covered a lot of it, but um, if there's anything that we missed, um, go ahead and plug it, girl. Yeah, I feel like we covered a lot already. Uh, Like we said, I really hope to see everyone at BarberCon. Come say hello. I will be the person with anxiety and likely a drink in my hand. Not while I'm working. What? Um, but I'm I feel like it doesn't count at hair st- hair type shows. <laughs> like I feel like you're allowed to do that there. <laughs> yeah, it's just cranberry juice. Don't yeah, worry. Exactly. Um, I will be there. So come say hello. I'm always happy to meet new people. Uh, for those of you who won't be making it to BarberCon, I hope you will find me on Instagram. I have three handles uh, because apparently I love and hate myself at the same time. So the best way to find me is my personal Instagram, which is at Cassandra, C-A-S-S dot O-N-D-R-A. Fun fact, I actually lost the spelling bee in the first round in fifth grade because I forgot how to spell my name. Um, I love that. You can also find my my barbershop studio on Instagram at Beyond the Beard and at Her Chair, His Hair is my nonprofit. Like I said, I am taking a hiatus from posting on there for quite a while, but There are some incredible women. There's some incredible content. And I really invite you to go and check it out and follow these women and give them a lot of support and love because even though I'm not actively posting, they are spectacular and their careers have, you know, just gone higher and better since then. Um, And yeah, I I guess the, the only thing that we didn't really cover that I always invite people to do is to reach out to me if they're ever feeling uncertain or uncomfortable or like their anxiety is spiking. I think we've all really had an awakening with our mental health last year. 
and I've been really grateful to have a lot of people trust me uh, with confiding in me and, you know, trying to figure out what works best for them when that happens. So um, I think a lot of people feel alone when that happens and I don't want them to. So if you are in need of someone to talk to, someone to bounce ideas off of, or just, you know, a black Instagram DM hole to vent to, <laughs> consider it my Instagram DM. Um, and yeah, I, I just hope everybody stays happy and healthy and sane because I think that's <laughs> what we're all striving for right now. Awesome. Cass, thank you so much. Seriously. This was great. Thank you. Thank you so much. All right. I'm signing off. Once again, thank you so much for listening to Backroom Beauty Talks. If you are looking for Cass, I will put all of her information in the show notes. If you liked this episode, please feel free to screenshot it, post it on the gram, and you would even earn extra brownie points from me if you leave a review on um, Apple Podcasts. That would be amazing. The more reviews we get, the more five stars we get, or whatever stars, whatever. No pressure, right? No pressure. Um, but the more reviews um, that we get, the more people uh, that can listen and find out about this podcast. So once again, thank you so much. And I will talk with you on the next one.